uh, for your grace this morning to understand your word. Uh, these are familiar words, um, ones that we can easily skim over because we think we know them. But Lord, we ask that uh, you would open our hearts to see them afresh, to see them new in new ways. Uh, Lord, I ask for your help as the one called to bring your word, that you would give me strength to do that and faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We just pray that you would attend to it by your spirit, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, these are familiar words, aren't they? Um, You can probably hear the echo of children's songs in them, or recitations of them. Um, uh, And you can think of all the various carols that we've been singing over the course of the weeks. And the songs that we that incorporate a lot of this 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 theme and this tune, uh, it's a something we do yearly. It's a yearly ritual that we we come together and we celebrate this, um, and we celebrate uh, it over and over again. In some ways, that can become maybe old hat. But I want to encourage you. There's a reason we rehearse it over and over and over again every year. There's a reason that we we go over this same path over and over again. And it's really quite clear. It's because God himself entered into human history as the divine man, the God-man. And he came into this world with the express purpose of bringing salvation between the incarnation, the crucifixion and resurrection, and the future return of Jesus, there are no greater events in all the millennia of human history. And so this morning, we celebrate. Each year we celebrate, we rehearse it, and we remember it. And it's not just here that we do this. All across the globe, today and tomorrow, people will be celebrating this. All all across the globe. It's an amazing reality. What other holiday can rival these holidays? Well, this morning, we come together in West Hartford to rehearse and remember. We've sung songs, we'll continue to sing songs with wonder, along with the shepherds uh, who first heard the angels declare that incomprehensible truth that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, was born. But because this is a familiar story, I think it's necessary for us to sort of dig into the text a little, to examine it, to sort of hear it afresh and anew as best as we can. And you know what? I actually think it gets easier over time. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just me. But as I live life, as I struggle in my life, and as I recognize more of my brokenness, and as I look at the brokenness of the world, the story becomes more and more uh, wonderful, awesome, joyous, as we consider that God would enter a world like this to save sinners like you and me. So, with that, this is my hope. That today and tomorrow we'll sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest. We're going to look at this in in three parts. Glory to God in the highest, for He alone is the King. Glory to God in the highest, who humbled Himself. And glory to God in the highest, who raises us up. Um, 
This is not novel. It's retreading the old, old story. So, first, glory to God in the highest, for He alone is Lord and King. It's interesting, the very first words that I read in our text highlight for us the greatest man on earth, right? Caesar Augustus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And then there was another great man that's mentioned, this uh, governor, Quirinius, who's governor over the area of Syria. Um, but it's interesting. Who is Caesar Augustus? He was uh, sort of the grand nephew of um, Julius Caesar, of course, who was famously killed on the Ides of March. Well, he had adopted uh, Caesar Augustus, who was not called Caesar Augustus at the time. It was called Gaius Octavius, um, to be his heir. But there were others. This is Rome, and, and there was a lot of intrigue around uh, the, who would be the next Roman Empire. So for a while, there were three who kind of competed three generals, all of them, uh, who sort of fought and competed. Uh, Eventually, uh, um, Gaius Octavius, eventually Caesar Augustus, won control over all of the Roman Empire. Um, And he took on the name Augustus. Augustus, uh, which means simply the illustrious one. But it was more of a religious title, if you will. It was, it was meant to uh, infer authority over all of humanity. It was meant to be the most glorious name that you could give any person. And he took it upon himself to describe himself as sort of the divine Augustus Caesar, son of God. Um, one inscription, in fact, uses this language to describe him. Divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. This is how the emperor of Rome viewed himself. Well, on top of this, calling himself essentially divine, what does he do? We read in the text that he ordered a census. Now, Why would he do that? Well, there's a very good financial reason because there was a tax associated with the census for every head and various ways uh, that they went about doing this. But he got money. So uh, if you want to build great things and build great armies, you need money. And so the census was a way to tax the people. Um, But I think it was much more than the exaction of a tax. It was much more than that. Uh, It's interesting, in these first seven verses of the Gospel of Luke, it's mentioned four times. Over and over again. Did you, did you catch it? In, all the, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And then in verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Um, and then in verse um, 5, to be registered with Mary. Um, and I missed one in there. Yeah, the, second, the verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It's a big deal. The text is making a big deal out of this. This would have been a big deal. Um, and you think about it. It's not. We have certain spheres of life where when somebody orders something, they, they have it done. Particularly, we think of the military. If, if a commanding officer says, do something, you do it. Right? Or think of a captain of a ship. Uh, in the olden days, they would have said he was like God of that ship. The, 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 he says it, you do it. Why? Well, the, because of all sorts of uh, reasons. Efficiency, effectiveness in the face of extreme situations. Um, there is a sense in which in these various fears, there's absolute rule. Parents. 
little bit. We command it. The kids ought to obey, right? They, they, they should. Um, but this is why my kids are getting coal in their stockings. <laughs> but here, in our text, one man says, jump, and everyone says, how far? Across the entire civilized world, that whole area of the Mediterranean, he says, jump, and they say, how far? Pregnant women who are about to give birth have to travel miles and miles by donkey to a village where they have nowhere to stay. In a, in a, in a country that is thousands of miles away from the center of Rome. I think the census was in expressing his own rule. Not only does, it, does he express his power by telling everybody to go to wherever they are to be registered, but in registering, they get a number. They get to say, I have X amount of people that I am Lord and King over. And for Caesar Augustus, it's most of the civilized world. At least from their perspective. Augustus seems from an earthly perspective godlike. But he's not God. Verse 4 hints at this. Look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Luke takes his time to describe exactly where Joseph and Mary were headed. Remember, they lived in Nazareth. They had to hop on a donkey, or whatever. That's what you see in the pictures. We aren't really told those details. But um, they, they headed down, you know, near to the point of giving birth. Uh, and uh, they, were, they were probably not thinking, this is a good thing. I don't, I don't know about you, but um, uh, Mary had just gotten back from Elizabeth's house from being gone for a long time. She's about to have a baby. Um, it wasn't exactly something they were looking forward to. And they were probably wondering in their mind, uh, Really, Lord? This is your king who's going to be born and you're making us take this long travel and we can't make arrangements to stay anywhere because uh, we, we don't know, we, we have family, but maybe there's not room, etc.? funny when I was when we were pregnant now this is partly because we our, our babies came rather fast but I was fearful of going 20 minutes away from a hospital like within a couple weeks of the birth right I wasn't making any long journeys and isn't this how it goes with us we look at the world, it seems to have all sorts of power. It dictates to us how we're to live, what we're to do. Um, whatever power that is, it doesn't have to be political, whatever situation you find yourself in. And oftentimes we find ourselves wondering, why do I have to do this, or why is God allowing that? But I think if we're not careful, we miss what is said here in verse 4. All along... It was God's plan for this baby to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because he was to be David's son. 
The prophet Micah had foretold it when he said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. You see, nothing happens outside the absolute rule of the Lord God and His Messiah would not come in any other way than on the terms of God, in His way and in His place. We can take a lot of comfort from this. Knowing that God is the King of Kings. That God, there was Augustus thinking he was exercising his authority and rule over all peoples uh, that were, you know, civilized in his mind anyway. He was exercising sort of absolute divine authority. Everybody, you must get counted. And if you don't, you'll face Roman law and Roman punishment. And everybody jumps. But in reality, he was an instrument in the hands of the King of Kings. We can take comfort in this. Glory to God in the highest, for He alone is King. But this King of Kings has come, not in the pomp of Emperor Augustus with crowns and robes, but He came wrapped, as the ESV says, in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth wrapped, lying in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Sort of this ironic moment in the text, right? Here was God bringing about His accomplishment of bringing about His Messiah to be King and Savior of the world. And here He is, born in Bethlehem. But this gives us reason for singing too. Glory to God in the highest who humbled Himself. It's funny, there are so many theories out there uh, about where it was that the baby Jesus was born. Was it a cave? Was it a stable? Was there a room attached to the house where animals used to roam? Uh, was, was there actually an inn? Or was this a house, uh, uh, sort of uh, a guest room in, in one of his relatives' house? Um, uh, was it the local Super 8? <laughs> We don't know for sure any of these things. But does it really matter? The picture that Scripture paints in very simple terms is that Mary and Joseph were relegated to a place where animals eat and presumably where they sleep and poop. I said poop. Doing all the gross things that animals do. In other words, there was no place for a king to be born. Never mind the Lord of glory. Never mind the King of kings. Never mind the Messiah. Here was a man uh, who should have been, a baby who should have been exalted, who should have been brought into the greatest palaces on earth, and he's born. In a manger. Do you remember what Isaiah, the song that we learned, what it's saying about uh, uh, this this Messiah? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Zechariah's song, he's described as the Horn of Salvation, the Mighty One. In Mary's song, he's described as the King who would exalt the, the humble and bring down the proud. And now the Messiah is finally here, the Mighty King who is God, who has come to raise up the humble and throw down the proud, here He is in a trough used for feeding goats. 
and livestock. But this is just the beginning, isn't it? He'll grow up and wander as an itinerant preacher, wholly dependent on others for his livelihood, not unlike the sheep and goats uh, eating in this very manger, right? He'll be reviled, he'll be rejected, he'll be abandoned, and finally he'll be crucified. Here he is, the King of Kings, the one who did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death, death on a cross. And here is the glory of God in all of its brilliance. For it is in this humiliation the Savior is born. A Savior would come for the least of the least. A Savior for sinners like you and me. How can we not sing glory to God in the highest, the one who humbled himself, who identified himself with us, who became like us in every way, who took on our shame. Glory to God in the highest for this child who was born. This brings me to my final point. Glory to God in the highest who raises us up. The King of Kings has been born. Now, when a royal child is born, it's no insignificant moment. I even think here in the U.S., uh, what was the the prince's name that was born recently? Well, a few years back, they're going to have another, right? Um, George, Prince George, um, he made headlines in the U.S. I mean, front page news. We don't even like kings in the U.S. We got rid of kings. But it was a moment for rejoicing and announcement, and it's no different in this case. There's quite a bit of irony in, there, in our passage, isn't there? There's a royal announcement to be made. Here comes the king of kings, good news to be declared. So the royal court sent its finest messengers. Probably Gabriel, we're just told here in the text, an angel of the Lord. It was probably Gabriel who had made the announcements beforehand. And he comes and he makes an announcement. And then the whole host of, of heaven, this army of angels, comes and makes an announcement. Uh, makes sense. The glory of God being, being manifest, being revealed here through these angels. Where do they go? To the fields surrounding Bethlehem. This town that was insignificant to shepherds tending their flocks in the middle of the night at that. I, I realize how familiar this story is. But I don't think we should be unmoved by the radical nature of this revelation. After all, the long-expected heir of David, the Messiah, God's Son, King of kings and Lord of lords, has been born to set God's people free, to redeem them. And the birth announcement came to a bunch of shepherds and sheep. Now, some of you have, have had children, and those of you who have not yet had children or may not have children, I just want to illustrate uh, this a little bit. Um, if you've had a baby, you have gone through the process of sending out the announcement. There is a pecking order. There's a pecking order. If you don't tell your family, your parents, your siblings, your grandparents first, 
if they find out through the grapevine, I don't think it goes well. Just letting you know. Um, just in case. So you, 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 you send out the announcement, you call your parents and your siblings and, and grandparents and you tell them and maybe some close friends or other close relatives and then you do the Facebook announcement, right? Then you tell the random strangers and the people on the street. You, 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 there's a, there's a, you know, you don't tell the rabble first, right? That's kind of the point. Let me, let me put it this way. You don't go down the hospital elevator after having the baby out into the street into the person collecting the garbage or cleaning the street or the meter maid uh, and then tell them first, I want you to know first a baby's been born. But then again, maybe you do. Maybe if your closest companion are those people Maybe if it's those people whom you love and care for with all affection, maybe you do go and tell them first. Well, let me say something. It's much wilder what the Lord does than that. It's like going to your worst enemy and saying, your Savior's been born. It's going to the person who mistreats you and maligns you, the one who mocks you and doesn't believe you, the one who will later turn on you and try to kill you, the one who just in general forgets about you. It's that person to whom the Lord went to us. Baby's been born. And this is the absolute marvelous irony of this announcement. God called the least and the sinners His friends. When the angel of the Lord came to those shepherds out in the field at night, he said, Do not be afraid. Why? Well, first of all, there's a host of angels from heaven, and that's fear-inducing enough. But I think any time that we are faced with the holiness of God, and that's what it is when you see an angel, you're faced with the glorious holiness of God. When it comes and it, it, it is shining brightly, all of a sudden you're exposed for who you are, and you fear because how can someone like me approach this glorious God or even His angels? It's fear-inducing. But the angels say, Do not be afraid. It's a common opening. I can imagine them. Oh, here we go. Don't be afraid. But the angels came to those poor shepherds and said, Do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. There is no announcement so wondrous, no news so good than this. God came to the least of the least. God came into the world to redeem broken sinners from every tribe and tongue and nation. God came to us. If they weren't afraid, you know, when, when Gabriel or whoever the angel of the Lord said uh, the announcement, can you imagine when the skies opened up and there was an army of angels singing? Bursting out with joy, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. Peace and favor 
There are few words as precious as these, the peace and favor of God for us, that God would make a way for us to have peace with Him, that He would show favor, grace to sinners like you and me. This is, friends, the message of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came. He came for broken, humble, poor sinners like us. Glory to God in the highest, who raises up the lowly. Well, in conclusion, we see the response of the shepherds. The angel had actually given them a sign, said, you'll know this is all true because there will be a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. You need to go and, and look for this child. And when they, when they verify it, when they see it with their own eyes, what do they do? They spread the word. They're the first evangelists. A bunch of dirty shepherds who spend their time with sheep go out and proclaim the good news. If there's any encouragement to us is that God uses the least of the least to share His gospel. So even as we think about the joy and rejoicing and the glory of God with regard to this beautiful story, we can be remembered. We can remember uh, that we've been given news that can't be held inside. But it has to get out, and He uses even us. So even as you go off and celebrate uh, your Christmas celebrations, don't shy away. You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to share the hope of Christ with those around you. And of course, Mary, so overwhelmed by it all, treasures these things up in her heart. What a glorious hope we have in the Gospel in this old, old story that we rehearse inside and out. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You for this opportunity to sing and to rejoice. Uh, We thank You for the Gospel, that You came to the least among us and You lifted us up. You shared with us the good news and You called us friend. You showed your favor and your peace and brought your peace to us. Lord, it's not fathomable. Lord, give us a heart to share this news with our friends and our family and those who are far off. Uh, The hope of the gospel for a dark world, the light. Uh, We just pray uh, for your grace to do these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.